You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. John chapter 14, I want to do something just a little bit different today as we start, is I want to start with the end before we begin. And what I mean by that is since March, um, with all the uh, COVID restrictions and everything that we've had to deal with and prepare for and make plans for, one of the things that we, we've changed a little bit in our services, um, which you probably noticed, is at the end, the invitation. And early on, we really didn't know how to do invitations in respect to making sure everyone was safe. Obviously, it's kind of close. And, uh, you know, when you and I are talking, if you come forward to respond to the invitation or what the Lord is drawing you to do. And as you've noticed at the end of the service, as I always have done, even before COVID-19, uh, after I get done praying, I step over to the side. And, and if uh, someone needs to respond, by all means, I'm going to respond to you. But what I want to tell you, and what I want to say to those online this morning that are watching, from this point forward, um, regardless of COVID-19, regardless of, of what's going on in our community, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, if the Holy Spirit is drawing you to move at the end of this service, do not hesitate. Do not hesitate. The reason I'm saying that today is because today's sermon and the next three, I have been praying uh, quite a bit that God would do something in your heart. And for those watching online, you have an opportunity to respond as well. As you're watching this morning, you see over to the side of your screen a place where you can type in prayer requests, you can type in questions, you can, you can sit there at your computer or at your phone, and you can actually engage. We've got someone sitting behind up here that is going to be ready to engage with you. If you want to receive Christ, we have somebody ready to lead you and what that looks like scripturally on how to put your faith in Jesus in this place today and in the weeks ahead and from now on don't hesitate if the holy spirit is drawing you to to step forward at the end of the service i will meet you down here i'll have a mask on we'll do it safely you see my my, my concern is is that with all that's going on and the fear of covid 19 and all that's happening in our world right now that that, that becomes one more barrier to the Holy Spirit drawing you to something that's going to change your life. And I don't want you to stay back there concerned about what may happen down here. If the Holy Spirit's drawing you, let me just make sure we're clear. If the Holy Spirit's doing something in your heart, that transcends COVID-19. And that's more important by far, what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. So if you need to respond, if you want to come down and pray, you come down and pray. If you want to if you want to pray by yourself, you come down and pray by yourself. Listen, walking out of a, a seat and coming down forward, that's not where salvation is found. Salvation is found by repentance and putting your faith in Jesus. And there are times the Holy Spirit's going to say, right now, right now is the time. Do not hesitate. Do not hesitate at all. John 14 this morning, as we look at this text, and as we look over the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to take a look at heaven today and next week. So we've got a part one and a part two. And then after that, we're going to take a look at hell, what the Scripture actually says about heaven and hell. And there's going to be two parts to that. And the reason that we want to have a little bit more time here is because what I have found is there's a lot of misunderstanding about both. Misunderstanding that really, if you get into God's Word and you read it as it is written, really clears it up. It's really not that complicated. It really isn't. Of what the Bible reveals to us about heaven, and what it also reveals to us about hell. So let's pray before we begin. Father, before us this morning is a text that sometimes is so well known in the church that we overlook what it says. Father, no doubt many people sitting here in this building this morning and watching online no doubt have heard this particular text at a funeral. And Father, maybe we've become so accustomed to it, to hearing it, that we don't feel the weight of it. So Father, I pray that we would set aside all preconceived notions about what Jesus is saying, 
that we could hear it fresh and anew this morning. Father, my prayer is, is that starting today, with every service where we gather, every time we gather, that there would be hearts and lives changed for salvation, for growing in Christ's likeness. But Father, especially over the next few weeks, as we talk about the hereafter, Satan is going to throw up barriers. Because the last thing he wants to be heard this morning and in the weeks ahead is what awaits every one of us when we breathe our last breath. So, Father, I pray that you would bind him. I pray, Father, that your word and your truth would go forth. Father, we recognize that this morning watching online are people watching in other countries. There are people watching all over our country this morning. And, Father, maybe they've never contemplated what life is going to be like after we breathe our last breath. So, Father, I pray that there will be no hindrances. I pray that there will be no barriers in the strong name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that the shackles will fall forth, the chains would fall off, we would no longer be bound. But, Father, we would be set free. And, Father, you said that those who put their faith in Jesus, your Son, are free indeed. So, Father, may your word bring forward. May it, may it have the impact that it's meant to have. But Father, our goal is not to just become more knowledgeable about the hereafter, but it would change us from the inside out. Father, we love you, we thank you, we seek your face this morning, and in all things. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, the King. It's in his name. Amen. What if you could get a glimpse of heaven? What if, what if just for a moment, like John, you could be kind of ushered up in the spirit and a little curtain be pulled back for just a, just a small glimpse. What if, what if you could see it in all of its glory and all of its beauty in just a small, maybe five seconds of time? Do you think that would change how you live? Do you think it would change how you view the world? Do you, think, do you think the fear of other people and what they think of you, do you think it would just melt away? Do you think the problems that you're that you're carrying around right now. And I know that you're all carrying around some problems, some issues, some challenges. Some of them are COVID-related. Some of them are economy-related. Some of them are related to, to disease and sickness. And it may be a combination of all three. But what if you could get just a little glimpse of heaven? Do you think it would change your perspective about those problems that you carry around? Do you think that it might cause the worry to be lessened or even melt away completely? Do you think your, your priorities in life would change? Do you think that, that all of a sudden you would become so heavenly-minded, as we talked about last week, that, that Jesus and following Jesus would, would infiltrate every area of your life, from your finances to your entertainment choices, to, from the way you lead your family to the way you go to your job, from the way you, you spend your money to the way you spend your time? Do you think that your friends those closest to you would wonder why you seem preoccupied. Because I think that if you, could, if you could see just a little glimpse of it, I think you'd be so preoccupied with not only that place, but I think you'd be preoccupied with making sure that everyone around you knows about that place and how to get there. Your money and your possessions would no longer possess you. And that living for Jesus, I think, would become the number one priority. You see, I think that's exactly why Jesus, what I just said to you, that little glimpse of heaven, I think that's exactly why Jesus says what he says in John chapter 14. Because we've got to understand the context of what's going on here. Jesus is gathered in the upper room with his disciples. Now, he's already told them on multiple occasions leading up to this that he's, that he's going to go away. If you remember, before he goes into Jerusalem for the last time, the disciples are trying to talk him out of it. Hey, Jesus, this is not a good idea. If we go back to Jerusalem, things are going to get ugly. And Jesus said, I have to go to Jerusalem. That's where his mission was, his ultimate mission. So they, they're leading in and they go to the upper room and some things happen in that upper room that really mess with the minds of the disciples because in that upper room in John 13, Jesus takes up a water basin. He girds himself with a cloth and he washes the feet of the disciples. He, he takes on the role of, of a doulos in the Greek. It's, it's the idea of a bondservant, a slave, the lowest of the low, that the rabbi teacher, the one who can perform miracles, the, the one who raised Lazarus 
back to life after his body had already been decomposing, that Jesus is going to lower himself to the lowest person in society and wash the feet of the disciples, even Judas, whom the disciples are going to find out is a betrayer. It's also in that same upper room that the disciples can't help but notice that Jesus seems to be, I don't know, he seems to be preoccupied. He seems different. His mood is different. The way he's acting, the way he's interacting is just different than what they've seen him before. It seems like there's a, a heaviness that is on him. And then at the end of chapter 13, Jesus says something in front of the other disciples to Peter, their unofficial leader. Peter was kind of like the unofficial, official leader of the disciples. Jesus says something to Peter that the rest of the disciples can hear. And, and basically, Peter says to Jesus, it doesn't matter what comes towards you, Jesus. We're going to stand with you. We're never going to walk away. We will stand with you. We'll stand arm in arm. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, don't you know that before the rooster crows this very night that you're going to deny me three times? That word deny means that, Jesus, that Peter is going to make the statement that I don't even know who this man is after spending three and a half years of his life with him. The other disciples heard that, and, and the disciples are feeling an unimaginable amount of stress. Their heart is hurting. They don't understand. They're confused. They, they realize that Judas is the one that Jesus was talking about in the upper room who's going to betray. He, he's in the process of doing it at this very moment. They've just heard that Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. Jesus keeps talking about that he's going to leave, that he's going to walk away, and that they can't follow him. Not immediately, anyway. The disciples have left everything. They've left their families. They've left their careers. They've left their money. They've left their family. They've left everything behind. Max, Matthew left his tax-collecting table. Peter and James and John left their fishing nets. They've left everything to follow Jesus. And now, at a key moment, critical moment, they're in Jerusalem. It's Passover. Now's the time for Jesus to ascend the throne. Now's the time for Jesus to kick the Romans out. Now's the time for Jesus to rule with power and authority. And Jesus is talking about leaving. That's why Jesus says what he says in chapter 14. Because the disciples are in complete disarray. The way they're thinking, what they're expecting, nothing is working out the way they thought it would. Then Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. You see, it's not until we understand how troubled the hearts of the disciples were that we can understand what Jesus is about to say in John 14. In other words, the Greek behind your English translation says, stop being troubled. In other words, they were in this constant place of trouble and concern. The disciples are deeply, deeply troubled. Jesus is focused on his mission. The disciples are focused on their place in some powerful kingdom that they think Jesus is going to set up. Jesus is focused on a cross. He, he's focused on dying at the hands of sinners who accuse him wrongly. The disciples are trying to figure out what their position is going to be and, and how, they can, how they can have power and how they can have authority. Jesus is focused on the next 24 hours, which are going to be the hardest he's ever faced. The disciples can't figure out why Jesus is so focused on leaving when they need him so much. Maybe, maybe you find your yourself in a place similar to the disciples. Not exactly the same circumstances, of course, but, but you, your heart is troubled. It's troubled by what you see in our world. It's troubled by what you see in our country. It's troubled by what you see in your own home. It's troubled by what you see in your own finances, maybe the addictions that you're struggling with. But your heart is troubled, and Jesus is going to speak to you this morning. And what he wants to do is, is get your focus on something more than just the troubles you're facing. I find it incredibly interesting here that at a point in time where Jesus could have said, hey guys, look, I'm going to die in three days, I'm going to resurrect, and everything's going to be okay, and you guys are going to start the church, and you guys, are going to, you guys are going to do great things. Now, Jesus says all of that to him, but not right here in this moment. In this moment, Jesus says there's something more 
than what your trouble is today. They were living for the moment. Jesus wanted their attention on the hereafter. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. You see, I think that's the answer for a troubled heart. Right there in that one single sentence. You got a troubled heart, a confused heart. Not really sure if Jesus is all he says he is. Guess what Jesus' answer is to your troubled heart? It doesn't matter what the trouble is. And that's the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does not matter what path you've traveled. It does not matter what mistakes you've made. It does not matter how far off into sin you've went. It doesn't matter even in this very moment what has your attention. What matters is do you believe in this man named Jesus? And I can tell you that all down through my life, with all the trouble that I've had to face, my trouble may be different than yours, the game changer has been my belief in Jesus, my faith in Christ. What about you? Do you have a testimony that's similar to that? That you face things in your life that, that other people look at and go, I don't know how you got through that. And your answer has always been, it's my faith in Jesus Christ that has taken me through that. Do you have a testimony like that? I know many of you do because I've heard your testimonies. Jesus' answer, first answer to their stress and their trouble was belief. You see, these men have been raised to believe in God. Jehovah God, that, that was who they were. They were all Jewish men. And they had been taught the law. They had been taught the Creator. They had been taught that God had delivered their ancestors out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. But Jesus says, you must also believe in me. It's not enough just to believe in God. It's not enough just to believe that there's a God out there somewhere. You see, God took on flesh and He came and dwelt among these men. And he's proved it over and over and over and over again. Miracle after miracle, word after word, sermon after sermon, lesson after lesson. No one spoke like him. No one talked like him. No one healed like him. No one loved like him. No one sought out outcasts like Jesus did. They have seen, they have been immersed in three and a half years of the God-man revealing who he is. Not just a good teacher, but God with flesh on. And this God with flesh on, Jesus Christ, the righteous, He knows all there is to know about heaven and the hereafter. And it's in this moment, when their hearts are troubled, it's in this moment, He looks at them and He says, if you believe in God, then you must believe in Me because I am God with flesh on. Right here in this chapter and in many other places in the book of John, Jesus cl says clearly and concisely that Him and the Father are one. Now, whatever you can think about God, you think about Jesus. Whatever you want to know about God, just look at Jesus. He's saying to his men, listen, I've been in the hereafter. That's where I was before I came here. Philippians 2 says that he lowered himself, took on flesh. You see, Jesus knows exactly what the hereafter is, and he takes his disciples on just a little glimpse. He does it more than once, but this particular text, he kind of just pulls the curtain back just a little bit. Why? Because their hearts are troubled. You can believe a lot of things about Jesus. You can believe a lot of things about God, but not be changed by it. Isn't that interesting? I'm hearing a lot of things in our culture being said about Christianity right now that are absolutely, completely false. I'm hearing people say, this is what Christianity is, and it has nothing to do with the Christ who died for it. You can believe a lot of things about God. You can believe a lot of things about Jesus, and yet not be transformed by it. You can have knowledge about who He is, but never surrender your life to Him. Knowledge about Jesus is not the same as believing in Jesus. That word believe there, same word where we get faith. You see, faith in Jesus is something more than just having a head knowledge about who He is. A head knowledge will never get you into the kingdom. A head knowledge about Jesus will never bring you out of darkness into light. All you will do is have some knowledge about who Jesus is, but unless that has changed your life, the only way change can happen is by faith, which means you follow Him, you trust Him, with not only your life today, but the life hereafter. That is life-changing belief. For the disciples, they've been walking with Him for three and a half years, and they're still confused about who He is. Their hearts are troubled. Notice what else Jesus says here. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Probably many of you have memorized those particular verses. But do we really understand what Jesus is saying here? First of all, he says, in my Father's house are many, many rooms. Now, you may have a different translation. And it may say something a little different there. I want to I talk about that just a little bit. What Jesus is saying here is that presently, at the time he was saying that to the disciples, that in heaven, his Father's house, the throne room of God, what we know to be heaven, if we read through this New Testament, we, we see heaven referred to in a lot of different ways. Heaven can mean like our sky right here around the earth, our atmosphere. The Bible uses the word heaven for that description. It can also talk about the cosmos, the stars out in the, out in the galaxies around in our solar system. That can also mean heaven. But then there's another heaven that the Bible talks about, a third heaven. It is the very dwelling place of God. You can't get in a spaceship and travel there. It's just as real as this building that sits on this piece of property, but yet we don't know exactly where it's located. We just know it's in the heavens. But it is the very throne room of God. And Paul said that when we die, our soul spirit that we've already talked about separates from this body. This body goes back to the ground, back to the earth, and it decomposes. But our soul spirit lives on. We've learned last week that the real you, that part of you that makes you you, that's going to live for eternity. And guess what? It's going to live on in one of two places. Jesus is talking about this place we know to be heaven, the very throne room of God. If you read in Revelation 4 and 5, uh, Andrew preached a, a powerful sermon back in December on Revelation 5. I hope you got to hear it. If you didn't, you need to go hear it. About what's happening in heaven, the angels worshiping God, that right now that God is sitting on the throne, Jesus sitting at His right hand, and there is worship that is going continually in that place. Jesus says presently, at that, point, at that point when He's speaking to His disciples, and presently right now, there is plenty of rooms in heaven. There's plenty of places to dwell. For years, as a young believer in Christ growing up in the church, I thought... That in heaven, there is this long, grand street of gold, of course. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. Streets of gold, pearly gates. And I had in my mind's eye mansions, right? That I'm going to have some big old Victorian-style mansion. That's how I vision it in my mind. It's going to be a two-level, big two-story house. And it's going to have a nice veranda deck on the top. And, man, I'm going to have an awesome view of heaven and, Man, it's going to be lined in gold and silver. As a matter of fact, there was a song that we used to sing in the church that I grew up in. Uh, the song was written by Ira Stanfield in 1949. Maybe you heard this old hymn, I'm satisfied with a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransomed will shine, I want a gold one, silver lined. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop, in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder we'll never more wander, but walk on gold on streets that are purest gold. I, I can remember the church choir that I grew up in singing that song. So in my mind, I had this idea that, that when I put my faith in Jesus, which happened at age 16, that, that I had this mansion. And, and honestly, folks, I'm going to be transparent and honest with you. It was more about me than it was about God and worshiping Christ. It wasn't until many years later that I realized that there's a big misunderstanding that flows right out of this text. You see, in the Latin Vulgate, there was a word used called mansionis. It was a Latin word that was used in this particular text to describe this place that, that Jesus has gone to prepare. And, and, I, and the idea is, is this mansionis just simply meant a building with a lot of rooms in it. But then in the King James Version, I think it's the RSV Version, they put in there the word mansions. And then what happened is over many years, we began to read back into the New Testament our idea of a mansion. What's your idea of a mansion? Well, Hollywood. Wealth. We begin to read back into the text. Oh, I get a mansion when I get to heaven. And here's the problem that I've got with that is it takes the focus off of Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all worship, and it puts the focus back on us. And don't our doesn't our American culture lend itself to that? I put my faith in Jesus, and Jesus is going to give me a big old mansion, which, by the way, I deserve. That is not what this text is teaching. 
This text is teaching us that we have a place in heaven because of our faith in Jesus. We have a place in the habitat of God. And there will be more than enough room for every single person who puts their faith in Jesus. There is more than enough room there for you. And here's the beauty of it, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your past failures. You see, it's not about a matching. It's about a dwelling place with your Creator. It's about, it's about living out eternity with the one who called you into existence. He says here, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, Jesus says, based on who you know me to be, based on the reality of who I am, I am God in the flesh. I lived in eternity in that throne room for as far back as you want to go. If there's ever been an authority on what heaven is like, Jesus, who stands before them, is that authority. Not only the authority for them, but the authority for us. Jesus knows exactly what heaven is. And he says to his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. It's in my Father's house. There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, why would I tell you that I go to prepare a place for you? And he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I also had another misconception about Jesus going to prepare a place. I had this idea that when Jesus ascended back to the Father, that He's been building and working and building and working and building and working. And guess what He's working on? My mansion, right? Jesus is up there and He's driving nails and He's, he's paving streets of gold and He's doing all of these things right now that, that Jesus, rather than sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me, He's up there building me something really nice and really cushy. Well, in my Father's house are many rooms. Those rooms existed long before Jesus ever went to the cross. So what is Jesus preparing? What, what was he referring to here in John 14 that, that he's going to make a preparation for these disciples? Well, I think the immediate context says something different. I think it says the preparation that Jesus was making was not necessarily in heaven building streets of gold, but I think it's going to a cross to an empty tomb and then resurrecting. I think that's the preparation. I think the context of where Jesus is that the very next 24 hours, Jesus is going to lay down His life. That is the preparation, not only that He was making for those disciples, but that He was making for every single one of us. The rooms are already there. Everything's ready. All that is left, all that is left, is for you to put your faith in Him. The preparation that He's making was a cross, a resurrection. You see, nobody goes to heaven. Nobody goes to heaven without a cross. Nobody, nobody goes to heaven without Jesus dying on that cross to pay a debt you couldn't pay. There is nobody who goes into the throne room of God who goes there by their own merits. There, there is no one who walks into the presence of the creator of this universe who gets there because you were good enough to get there. Jesus had to die. The preparation had to happen. His death had to occur. There is no way that your sins could have been covered any other way. There's no way that your sins could have been removed except through the blood of Jesus. And he says in verse 3, and if I go to prepare a place for you, he's going to leave the upper room. He's going to walk across the city streets of Jerusalem. He's going to walk through the gate. He's going to cross over the Kidron Valley. He's going to go into a garden of olive trees called Gethsemane. And there he's going to pray great drops of blood. It's going to be there that Judas is going to show up it's going to be there that the Roman soldiers arrest him, an innocent man who's done nothing. He's going to be carried off, and he's going to be put before Annas and Caiaphas. And they are going to judge him as being worthy of crucifixion. And Pilate is going to be brought into the mix, and Pilate's going to say, I don't know what this man has done, that he is deserving of crucifixion. But the crowd will cry, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate will say, here's Barabbas. Will you take Barabbas or will you let Jesus go? And they'll say, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. He says to his disciples, I know your heart is troubled. They have no idea what they're getting ready to face. The disciples have no idea what's getting ready to happen in the next 10 to 12 hours. Jesus does. And all of those preparations set in the Godhead Trinity and eternity past, 
that nothing is going to thwart that, that, that the disciples will not be able to stop it, that, that Peter will deny, the disciples will scatter, was all part of preparing. Preparing the disciples to have their sins forgiven and cast as far as the east is from the west. If there is a place prepared, then Jesus is going to make sure that every one of his followers make it there. Notice this. He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Now, there's all kinds of discussion about what did Jesus actually mean there. Is he talking about like the end of the world? Is he talking about when he comes back in the rapture? Here's what I think he's talking about specifically to those disciples, that every one of those 11, the 11 that are left, every one of them are going to face death. He even tells Peter at the end of the Gospel of John, Peter, you're, you're going to follow me. You're not going to like it. But they're going to carry you off. You know that Peter was crucified upside down for his faith after he watched his own wife be murdered for her faith. Historians tell us that it was a horrific thing that, that Peter would not allow them to crucify him in the same way that his Lord was crucified, so he has to be crucified upside down. Here's what I think Jesus is saying to these 11 who are troubled in heart. I don't think he's talking about some future event, although that certainly is part of what Jesus is saying. I think he's saying that for every one of those disciples, I think for every disciple since that time, that Jesus is actively engaged at the moment when you breathe your last breath. Jesus is not going to send an angel to pick you up. He's not going to send Michael to pick you up. He himself is going to come and take you into his arms. At the very moment you breathe your last breath, who else is going to be there but your Lord and your Savior to usher you in to the kingdom, the final place, this place of heaven, this throne room. Jesus himself is not going to give that assignment to anyone else. Oh, no. No, the love that he has for you, he says to these disciples, and he kept his promise to every one of these disciples that I will come again and I will, listen to this, I will take you to myself. You get that? Every one of your loved ones that died in Christ, every one of them, Jesus came and took them unto himself. You see, that's not a role anyone else could fill. But that Jesus that you put your faith in, that you followed for many, many years, when you come to those last moments, do you think for a moment that Jesus is going to abandon you in that moment? You know, the process of dying brings fear into our life, right? I mean, it's an unknown. We, we, don't, we don't have anybody that could kind of come back around and kind of fill the gap in on here. Hey, this is what it's going to be like. We don't have other than what the Bible tells us. But right here in this text, Jesus says, based on who he is, based on his true identity, that if he's gone and there's a place prepared, and he's prepared that place through a cross and a resurrection, then make no mistake about it. In those moments, when you're breathing your last, Jesus will take you to himself. I don't know about you, but boy, I tell you, I tell you what, that that dispels a lot of fear. Not just fear of, of the process of dying. But the fear of what i got to face tomorrow. The worries of, of life and, and what it means to lead a church through this incredibly difficult, crazy time in which we're all living, that, that sometimes I take all that stress upon myself. And, and Jesus is saying to me, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, then you believe in me. You've already done that. And trust me when I tell you the troubles you're going through right now, no matter how bad they are, no matter how big they are, no matter how high the mountain is, trust me when I tell you, the glory of what awaits you so outshines that and so outweighs that that it's not even, not even a thought. It would be like a billionaire who could care less about losing a penny. That the weight of glory is such that the weight of this throne room that we're going to go to is such that if we live with the understanding of what that is and that it is just as real as Jesus at His resurrection, His crucifixion, it's just as real and that Jesus is going to be there in those final moments of my life, then I can get up tomorrow morning 
I can face whatever's coming down the pipe and deal with courage, deal with a smile on my face, knowing that my destination is already settled. Just as much as Jesus was real and lived upon this earth, and just as much as he was crucified, and just as much as he's resurrected, my destination is assured. That when my life is fading out, it won't fade out into darkness. No, 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 no. It'll fade out into light, the light of the world, because he'll be right there. Just like he was for every loved one before me who's put their faith in Jesus and left this life for the next. Look at verse 5. He says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, did Jesus get this wrong? He says that you know who I am. You know where I'm going. You know the way. And then, of course, Thomas jumps up and says, wait a minute. We don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, no, no, you do know where I'm going because you know who I am. Have I been with you so long? And this is what he gets into in the rest of the chapter. He says, have you been with me so long that you don't understand who I am? You see, the reality of where we're going is based in the reality of who Jesus is. Either Jesus is Lord, or he is a liar, or he is a lunatic. That's what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis says, you've only got three options for who Jesus is. He's either an absolute liar, he absolutely was dishonest, his disciples knew he was a liar, and they perpetuated that lie all the way down through history, even today. Or, Jesus is a complete lunatic. He was a nut job, crazy, out of his mind. He thought he was some kind of Messiah, but he was nothing more than a man. Or, he's Lord. And if he's Lord, if he's Lord, then heaven is real. If he's Lord, then there is an afterlife. If he's Lord, if, if he is exactly who he says he is, then you know the way. Jesus is that way. Jesus is the truth. It's not as though Jesus is talking about there's many ways. That's what our culture is telling us. No, Jesus says, I am the way. He also says that he's the truth, not that there is all kinds of different truths, but there's one, and he's the embodiment of it. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is the life. You see, I think it's when we find the way and we realize the truth that we find the life. The life you've been searching for, the life you've given up on, is found in the way and the truth. Just a few things before we close. I, I, I want to um, let me give you just a few things that come straight from this text. First of all, you can write these down if you'd like. And again, online this morning, if you're watching, and any of these things prompt a question, I want you to get on your keyboard there, and I want you to type that question because we have people that want to interact with you to help you answer those questions. By the way, I have an email address. Email me. Be glad to answer any questions you have and talk with you about that. First of all, heaven is real. So for every graveside service that you've been to, for every funeral that you went to, for every eulogy or service that you've sat and heard someone speak, and maybe they even used John 14, that for every single loved one of ours that died in Christ, every single one of them are alive and with And they're living in the throne room of God. How do I know that's true? You may say, well, wait a minute. You seem pretty confident about that, but, but you have no evidence. You have, you have no way of really knowing for sure, right? I mean, maybe, maybe they just went into the grave. Maybe they've just died. Maybe, maybe their body's just composing. Maybe, maybe death is simply the end of life, and we cease to exist at that point. How can you be so sure? Well, I think Jesus has already told us in John 14. So if you believe in me, you believe in God, then I've gone to prepare a place. How do we know that? because of the preparations that he made. You see, you can wrestle with this all you want to, but it really comes down to one single event, moment in time. Did Jesus resurrect or did he not? Make no mistake about it, Jesus was dead, graveyard dead when he came off that cross. Jesus being dead, placed in a tomb, comes back to life 
three days later, over 500 people see him at one time. All the disciples had several interactions with him. They could see the scars. He wasn't some guy who just kind of revived back to himself. No, he was different than he was before. Well, if, if Jesus died and then comes back to life, what's happening in between? Where is Jesus? Well, I'll tell you where Jesus is, and we're going to talk about it in the weeks ahead. That there is something beyond this life, and the resurrection proves that. You can put your faith in a lot of different religious teachers. You can put your faith in a lot of different places. But let me ask you one question. How did they do with death? Did they overcome it? Is there a body in a tomb somewhere? If there is, you might want to think twice about putting faith in that person. Because if they couldn't overcome death, I would offer you they're not worth following. Heaven is real. How do I know heaven is real? Because Jesus is real. His crucifixion was real. And get it, folks, his resurrection was real. Just as real as you're sitting in a seat today, just as real as you're sitting in front of a laptop or a computer or a TV today, Jesus resurrected. And if he did, and I believe that he did, then that demands some kind of response out of you. That all that Jesus said about heaven and hell, it's real. But heaven is real. Second thing is real people who put their trust in Jesus are there. They're still living. So as disciples of Christ, when we walk away from a graveside of a loved one who's died in Christ, yes, we're broken because there's going to be an empty seat at home. Yes, we mourn because the next holiday season is going to be a little different. We wrestle with the pain of being with someone for years, maybe Maybe your spouse passed away and you were with that person for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And now all of a sudden everything has changed. And yes, there is pain. And yes, there is hurt. And yes, there is mourning. And even Solomon said there is a time for mourning. But he also said there's a time to rejoice. And Christians, let me offer to you that if our loved one who died in Christ is in this place, this real place that Jesus prepared by going to a cross and resurrecting, if they are there, then yes, we can rejoice. Yes, we can know that the death didn't have the final say. Yes, we can know that one day, as Christ's followers, we will be reunited with those who've gone before. I don't know about you, but that gives me incredible, incredible joy to know that there's going to be a day where I'm going to wake up on the other side where Jesus is going to usher me in to this throne room of God. And standing there in that place are people that I have loved, people that I have walked with, people that have made impact on my faith and impact on my life. And they're going to hug me. They're going to wrap their arms around me. They're going to say, welcome home. That's real, folks. It's real. Why? Because Jesus overcome death, hell, and the grave. And there are people there because of their faith in Jesus. I will recognize them. They will recognize me. You know, after Jesus resurrected, you notice something. that Jesus was a little different, but the disciples still recognized him. You're going to recognize your loved one. You're going to know who they are. They're going to know who you are. They may be a little different, look a little different, but you're going to know them. The person that you knew all your life, that you loved and walked with, yeah, when you see them over there, you're going to know them. They're going to look like you know them to be. I don't know how old they're going to be, so don't ask me that question. That's going to be the next question. Well, how old will they be, Pastor? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But you will know them, and they are there. And there will be a day of reunion. Third, there's enough room for everyone who believes. I think that's what Jesus is saying to these disciples, that there's going to be enough room. Interesting in Jewish culture, when a son would betroth himself to a young lady and they would go through the process of, of getting married, you know what the what would often happen that the the father would actually just kind of, the father of the groom would just kind of kind of build onto the house, kind of extend another roof line off of his house. And, and then that family, that new couple would come and live there, and then they would have children, and those children would grow up, and they would kind of betroth themselves to a, to a young lady or a young man. And the next thing you know, they'd build onto the roof. And what you had was this, this basically this compound of family living together. When Jesus says, 
His Father's house has many rooms. No one who places their faith in Jesus will be left out. Have you ever been left out of anything? Have you ever felt like you were left out of the rest of the world, that you're not really part of everything that's going on? Maybe, maybe you were never picked to be on the sports team. Maybe you were always left out. Maybe you're the one that was always left out. No one who places their faith in Jesus will be left out, regardless of your failures, your color of your skin, the amount of money you have or don't have. There's going to be room for you. There's going to be a place there for you. When you put your faith in Jesus, you became part of a family, not just a family here at Hyde Park, but you became part of a global family that transcends time and borders and countries and languages and ethnicities. And what Jesus is saying is we're, we're all going to be together in one big, beautiful, colorful family. Fourth thing, this is what we're going to get into next week, so I need you to come back next week or watch online next week. Did you know that heaven's not our final destination? We often think of it as our final destination. It's not. Because in Revelation, we get the, we get the word from John that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a, a new city called Jerusalem that, that comes down out of the heavens, down to earth. A massive, immaculate, mind-blowing city. So we're going to look at that next week, that that heaven, as we know it, when, when our body dies and our soul spirit goes to be in the throne room of God, yes, we're going to be there, but, but then we're going to get to see our new creation, a new earth, a new heaven, a new city. And that will be our final destination. We'll talk about that next week. Fifth, even though the preparations have been made, even though these rooms are for those who put their faith in Jesus, what I want you to understand is, is even though it's made for us, it's not about us. I can't stress this enough. This place that, that has these rooms that, that are going to be filled by those who put their faith in Jesus, while those things are there and prepared for us, it's not about us. It's about Christ. It's about the Godhead Trinity. It's about those things being restored back to the way they were before the fall, that Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day, communing with God, loving God, fellowshipping God without the curse and without sin. That's what this is really about. It's going to be about worship of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now you may be asking, well, what in the world are we going to do for eternity? Glad you asked that question. Hold on to that. There's a few weeks we're going to deal with that. We're going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Lord, I hope not because I don't like harp music. It'll be a long time, right? How many, of you've got a, how many of you have got a playlist on your phone of harp music? Probably not many. No, you're going to have a task. You're going to have something that, that you're going to be doing in eternity. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But what you've got to understand is, is this is not about you. It's not about you getting your cushy mansion. It's about being in the presence of God and being restored back to Him fully and completely in that glorified state where we can finally worship God without inhibition, without fear, without heartache, without the curse of death hanging over our heads. Finally, heaven is the antidote for a troubled heart. Heaven, thinking about heaven, digging into Scripture about heaven, is the antidote for a troubled heart. Do you have a troubled heart this morning? I don't want you to get your focus on golden streets, pearly gates, angels. Those things are cool. I mean, make no mistake about it. I'm, I'm intrigued by a golden street. I, I am deeply intrigued about gates that have been carved out of pearl. I'm, I'm interested in that. But you see, that's not where my interest completely lies. My interest is what it's going to be like to worship Christ at His feet. You see, what I'm interested in is this Lord and Savior of mine, this King of mine that I have tried to follow, and I have failed often. I have failed miserably at times trying to follow Him and do what He's asked me to do. I failed not only in deed, but I have failed in the way I think and my motivations at times. And if it were not for His grace, if His grace were not sufficient, then he would have cast me aside a long time ago, and justifiably so, but He doesn't because He loves me. He's adopted me. 
You see, if there were no golden streets, if there were no pearly gates, if there, if there were none of that, I want my heart to long for that place simply because Jesus is there. What I long for is just like when my dad would uh, look at me and say, Good job, son. I gave you this work to do. You did a good job there on the farm. You, you know, you did that the right way. You did exactly the way I wanted you to do it. And um, good job. You see, if there's no golden streets and there's no pearly gates, what I really long for more than anything else is this for my King and my Savior, when I followed His feet, but that hand that has a, a scar in it where they put a spike comes down on my shoulder. Because make no mistake about it, my position is going to be on my face before Him. Make no mistake about that. What I want to hear from Him is well done. I gave you a few things. You did what I asked you to do. Well done. Now, come on in. You see, that coming in is not because I did a good job. That coming in is because of what Jesus did for me on the cross and my faith in that. Don't get that, don't get that unclear. Don't get that mixed up. The reason I'm going to be able to go to that throne room is not because of what I've done. It's because of what He's done for me. Father in heaven, I believe there's some troubled hearts in the building this morning. I'll be surprised if there weren't. I believe there's some troubled hearts online this morning. I'd be surprised if they weren't. I've had some trouble in my heart this past week. Father, I believe what, you're, what you were teaching the disciples is the antidote for a troubled heart is not just heaven, but the one who dwells there. Not just our loved ones who we'll get to see again, but Lord, you that made it possible for us to see them again. Father, I don't want us to get caught up in lesser things now or ever. So Father, I, I pray for every person in this room, for every disciple in this room, and those watching online, that Father, we would have the trouble melt away the light of your son and what he's accomplished on our behalf. But these troubles will soon be over. And there will never be any more trouble again. You made that possible, Lord. For those who've never put their faith in you, they're troubled as well. Wrestling with what life really means. What happens at death. But Father, may they cast their attention on an empty tomb that's what really what matters and may they respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit whether they be online or in this building may they not let another day go by for that place in their faith what really matters we ask it in Christ's name Amen Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon for more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church please check out our website hydepark.church or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist. 